Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. A red flag early in my relationship loop with my cis male SA is that he had no friendships with men. The few friendships he had tend to be with women. He either effed or wants to. I get that he has scars from being bullied by his brothers and macho guys when he was younger, but many betrayed partners I've talked to also say that their addict partners don't have healthy male friendships. Is this sociocultural for men over 40? Is there a correlation between SA and incapacity for friendships? That's an interesting question. There's a lot of questions there, but let me just say one thing. Um, many men, and I think there's research on this, give up their male friendships when they get in, um, in marriage. They, their partner, their wife becomes the person they're most dependent on, that they most turn to, especially if there's kids and they're just very focused on the home. Women tend to hold on to their female relationships, or maybe when you have a child, you get new ones. We're not as, we're not as communal as women are. We're not as good as holding we're more superficial how was the game what's going on what you know we're not as we tend to not go as deep um and so what we hold on to may not be as meaningful to us as is to you so that's so it isn't pathological for men to not hold on hold on to relationships once they're in a deep relationship with a woman my belief is it's good for them to you know i am grateful when i can get out of here and hang out with my guy friends to go do whatever, because number one, it gets me out of here. It's nice to get away from home. And two, you just, it's important. I cannot put all my energy into one basket. And if I do, especially if we have the issues we do, you're going to disappoint me. You're going to let me down. You're going to, you know, dot be there, whatever. And I can't be sitting around saying, well, who am I going to turn to? Because that's when I get in trouble. So I think having a good, solid, now Tammy will say, don't let this be the bunch of friends that he hangs out at the strip club with, or that she goes golfing and they tell her how much it's okay to get late. You know, you have to, I have to choose the friends are going to support my healing process. And if you as my spouse saw me going out with the boys and going to the bar, you know, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Um, There was another question about culture, macho, can you? It says, is this sociocultural for men over 40? Is there a correlation between essay and incapacity for friendships? Those were the two questions. Well, at the end. yes. Um, every sex addict I've ever met, and I would say most of the addicts I've ever met, we really struggle with I- intimacy on every level. So, and, I'm, and when I say intimacy, please, everybody, I'm not talking about sex. I'm, if I wanted to say sex, I would say sex. If I wanted to say sexual intimacy, I would say that. I'm talking about emotional intimacy. You know, we are really not good at um, expressing ourselves in that way. And so, hold on, I want to say, say something about that. Let me look at the question again. Um, there was something else in here that really upset me. And it was... A few friendships he has tend to be women because he's either right. after or wants to. Yeah. Well, on the one hand, I can understand that men often don't feel safe and it's easier to have female friends, but I'm a gay man. And I think if I was a married heterosexual man and I, if I was a married heterosexual woman and I saw my cis husband hanging out with a bunch of women, I don't think I feel that comfortable with it. Couples, great, you know, with other couples, whatever. But uh, I, as a gay guy, I go hang out with my women's friends from 25 years ago. If I were a cis male heterosexual, I would not do it unless my spouse was along because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. 
And I got to tell you, a lot of the spouses that I talk to and I do do these consults, well, you know, he said that they were an old friend and he said they were friends since this and that. And he said he was just supporting, you know, I think, again, if it makes you uncomfortable, don't make excuses for it. Say this makes me feel uncomfortable and then see how it comes back to you. You know, because that's if you know if you're being listened to is why are you making a big deal out of this? It's just then you're not being listened to. If it is, you know, I want to know what upset you about it because I can under that's a whole different set of stories. But there's one more thing in this letter. He has scars from being bullied by his brothers and macho guys. So many of the men that I work with, and this happened on the consultation I did today, will say to their cheating spouse, well, but I have a lot of trauma and I'm not good with intimate relationships. And, you know, I know I've slept with 40 people and gave you an STD, but, you know, it's just because, and the thing is, yeah, we all have trauma, addicts in particular, but it is not an excuse. And when I, when you were angry at me about stuff I've done and I say, oh, well, but I have some of this trauma, so much trauma, it invites you to put aside your anger and your disappointment and feel bad for me. And if I have hurt you, it is not your job to feel bad at me, no matter what I say. And I have seen people use the trauma card as a manipulation to try to get the focus off of what they've done wrong and try to get the sympathy vote. So if there's something really problematic in this relationship related to sexual acting out, I would say, take your trauma, go to your therapist, because I'm too angry at you and hurt by you to sit and listen to your pain. I'm sorry it happened, but I'm not the one to turn to right now. There. I just want to, why do you in that when he does these expert consultations, he, that was a confabulation of lots of different things. It is like, sorry, there's no notes on these. These are like, this is a consultation. This is not therapy. This is not treatment. So, so when he uses like a, any of these examples, it's some components of lots of different things. Oh, I might. And you know what? Sometimes I do use examples from things you've said, but I change the name. I change the situation. When I write books, I have to write stories that are true, but I don't say the right name or I change their job or, you know, whatever that is. So you'll never hear us describe people in that way. Um, Okay. Because I don't want anybody to think that, oh, I'm going to have an expert consultation, then it's going to be aired on online. I want to be just really clear about that. And you know, anyway, so we're going to go to number 29 now, the next, um, the next one. And we answered the first one. So this is kind of a continuation from the last person. My essay wants his rewards for doing work to be my time, attention, sex. He doesn't want to enter a program without guarantees for me that I'll still be there for him on the other side. I know I need him to get well for him, not for me, or it can't work. How can one incentivize an addict in crisis without feeling like I'm being emotionally and sexually coerced and manipulated. Well, let me, I just want to say something of the last part. And I know we're all going to have, think, we're both going to have things to say. I, I can't incentivize anyone to do anything. You know, I can encourage them like lead a horse to water. Perfect example. I can encourage them. I can tell them what we have on the line. I can tell, but ultimately they're going to do whatever they want to do. And I think Taking actions and and basing my behavior on what someone else might do doesn't usually work for me. However, if you set boundaries for yourself, I'm not comfortable unless this goes on. I don't want to talk about that. Tammy says all the time, boundaries are for you, not for that other person. Now, you may kick them out and change the locks and they may say, oh, I don't want to be kicked out and go get some help. But the point is, is that um, you have to speak for yourself, speak from your heart and um, and don't feel like it's your responsibility to try to push them into treatment. 
sometimes as you take care of yourself and really put energy to that, they may say, well, I don't like this relationship like this. And you can say, well, if you'd go get some help, it would be different. So um, now the first part, Tammy, do you want to start with that? Or? I do, because um, one of the things I often say, to, if we have a treatment program for men. So I talk to men who are in need of help. And um they're always going, I don't know if she'll or he will stay with me. And I was like, here's the deal. And nobody knows that, but I can pretty much guarantee that you stand zero chance if you don't get help, you know? So, so there's no guarantees on any of this stuff, but man, to be in a different place. So this truly feels very manipulative of, um, you know, like if you don't give me sex or whatever, I'm not going to do whatever I'd be. I like Dr. Rob said, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to hold healthy boundaries for me. I'm going to value me. And so unless and until you're able to do some things and it's not, again, being punitive to him, it's I value me because he's not, you know, um, so I value me. So I'm going to hold this space. And if you're able to step into that, you know, I mean, the couples that really do this work and it's not all, you know, it's not all easy, you know, easy breezy, but it, but to do this work, the ability to be in a different place, to have a real true vulnerable, intimate relationship, you know, is so much better and deeper. Unfortunately, an addict in active addiction, you know, is only thinking about what I have to give up. They're not understanding that their world is tiny because they're so focused on hanging on to stuff that is really, you know, paper thin, you know, the relationship with you is meaningful. And I want to add to the guarantee word. I think this is backwards. If I were you, I would say, I can guarantee you that if you don't get some help that I'm not sure I'm going to be around and I'm certainly not going to make any promises. You're the one who has to guarantee that if they don't get help, it's none of their business what you're going to do. Like I said, they, it's not their job to influence you. It's their job to do what's right for them. So I would say that I would have a guarantee that if work doesn't go forward and I don't see trust beginning to evolve because you're working on this, I can guarantee you at least I'm going to distance myself. I'm not going to be available, I, you know, depending on where you are in this process. But there are no guarantees. I was talking to somebody two weeks ago who, you know, they they were just kind of playing with it. They were doing a little of this, a little of that. And they said to their spouse, see, I'm working so hard, but the but nothing had really changed. And that ain't it. Um, so he committed to going to treatment. He needs to go to treatment. He committed, you know, uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that's my, the guarantee thing. It's on your side. Yes. Okay. The next one, all the therapists say addiction is not about sex. My essay husband says it's both escape and sex. This is very confusing for me. I've taken many ed educational groups from your therapist. Um, I agree with escape is true. Um, why does he feel it is both? Is it a lack of understanding? He is in therapy and 12 step and has, this has been a three-year journey. Well, I might disagree with this. I think in part, it is about sex, you know, just like drinking, it is about drinking. You know, I want to escape and I'm dealing with my emotional problems and I'm burying it all and all that, but I'm still drinking. And so, um, it isn't about the sex what it's about, in a sense, is the idea of sex. You know that I'm going to that I'm going to pursue it. That I'm going to look for the ways I can get it. That I'm going to. All of that is the process, not just the end point. But um, 
what is driving me forward is the idea of sex. What is driving me forward is preparing for the sex. The sex, interestingly, it takes the least amount of time in my process. I spend more time thinking about and planning and getting ready for and than people actually do in the sex. So to me, what they're talking about is the whole process of escape that is really, and they use the sex like a the carrot at the end that, that they're chasing. Um, but, you know, we don't chase and do that and then say hi to a sex worker. <laughs> you know, we do what we're going to do. In fact, I will say that sometimes we end up with people we don't want to be with or that we don't feel good about, or we're not attracted to. And we're so uh, driven forward by that point that we will actually go through the sex we don't even enjoy or want to. So it's really about the whole buildup and the distraction. And the so yes, yeah, sex is the carrot. Um, yeah, I mean, is, so Tam, do you want to add to that? No, I, I mean, yeah, any form of addiction is about filling the hole in our souls. It's not, a you know, so, so behavioral is different than chemical now often it's fused but but at the end of the day you know there's we i talk all the time about the clients that come to seeking integrity treatment program we want to stop the problematic behavior but address the underlying issues have a plan for when i feel triggered when i feel lonely or hurt or abandoned or whatever it is that i've got a plan so that i don't have to act out so now you're going to skip to number 31 skip 30 no, i want to say one thing about okay, one more please. thing is if I was trying to make you feel better, and I don't know if this is your partner at all, it could be for any partner or any question, I would probably say to you, oh, the sex meant nothing to me, or I didn't want to, you know, because I would make want, I would not want you to know that I was actually very much in pursuit of the sex. And one of the things I think we need to say, all addicts and alcoholics, I think are the same way. If you tell an addict, that was all terrible, that was awful, that ruined your life, that, and there, you don't get them because there's always a little part that enjoyed it. There was always a little part that loved to be at the casino. There's always a little part that the first couple of drinks were really good. So um, I think it's actually good therapy to say, you know, you're not crazy. It was something that was pleasurable to you. Of course, it ran off the rails, but I think it's important for every addict to acknowledge that there were times when it worked because it isn't all terrible and awful. And, you know, sometimes at least for a while it worked until it doesn't work anymore. So now skip to number 31. Why are they intimate avoidant? You want to start? I can think about it. I wrote, a, I've written books about this. So um, this is a hard question, but what are your thoughts, Tam? I know it's a short sentence or a short question. And it's like one of those, right. that you, yeah. I was like, uh, I, I mean, there's so many things. I first thought came mother and mesh men where like it would be a betrayal of the mother and mesh men if I was close with you. So, it, I mean, it can be really complicated like that. It can be, I am so afraid that because you, you are meaningful and hurt, can hurt me so badly. So I'm going to, I want you close, but I'm going to push you away. And, and so there's always that compartmentalization. So, um, but we can learn in recovery to connect in real and meaningful ways to be intimate, not just sexually um, uh, with another person. So that's a, my short answer for a short question. Well, I'll give a short answer for a short question too. I avoid things that are afraid of, and I avoid things that, that make me feel bad, especially at, or if they have in the past. 
So I think as sex addicts, it's very easy for us to move to intensity with someone we don't know well and have this mind blowing, whatever, because they're not going to hurt us. They're not going to let us down. They're not going to remind us of our history. We don't have any ties to them and we don't have to really clean the dryer with them either. So it is much easier for us to separate sex from intimacy, emotional intimacy, but then we could never be emotionally intimate because when you have secrets, you can't be emotionally intimate anyway, just to start. But yes, we absolutely avoid intimacy because it terrifies us on some level. We are split into pieces and that's how we grew up. Um, sex, uh, as Tammy said, can represent um, being involved with someone who traumatized me or someone who overwhelmed me or used me or you know, things don't just come up because of what's going on in the present. Sometimes they remind us things of the past. I don't know all the stuff that happened to me, but I know enough about how I act out and what are my issues in a relationship to tell you that enough happened that I ended up like this. And, uh, and we, by the way, someone asked about, he doesn't have a lot of friends. It isn't just his sexual intimacy. We avoid creating friendships. We, we avoid and in some ways, not having the freedom to do whatever we want, whatever we want to do. So there's many pieces to this. But ultimately, I avoid the things that I'm afraid will hurt me. And you often say that the opposite of addiction is healthy attachment. And so that is also part of it. If I'm avoiding all attachments, um, it's easier to stay in my active addiction. Well, okay. I, as I go ahead, something else, I mean, the source of our life is home. H-O-M-E, the things that gives us strength, the things that help us go back out in the world, the thing that fills us up is our homes and the intimacy in our homes. And I often say about addicts that um, they're constantly running away from home. You know, we want the intimacy, but when a push comes to shove, we run it the other way. So we have so many questions. Go I know we do. I'm going to just tag on that because you did a... Um a podcast uh, titled home. And it is one of the, the, they're, they're all pretty popular, but that is one of the more popular is your podcast on sex, love and addiction entitled home. Okay. So the last question from last week, thank you for your services. He said he would be here um, this week. I'm a 26 year old porn and video game addict, and I've been trying to be in 12 steps, but I never feel like fitting in uh, the process even intended to. I try to work with sponsors, but there there's always been a problem. I already even have a disclosure with my partner by my own taking the initiative and offering it because I thought that the minimum my partner de deserves after me being hurt is the honesty about my triggers for her self-safety. I'm joining SI meetings frequently, but I would like to know, is it possible to find integrity even without 12-step groups? I feel doubt about the 12-step process and I seek reassurance for which side I should follow. I really want to do the right thing. Um, it doesn't matter how. So that's a lot. Well, that's that you got to start. Well, I was thinking maybe the 12-step part might be a really good part to address. Well, one of the things, um, like I, I'd be really curious. Um, so here's the common denominator. I, you know, you said you've tried, I, I've been trying 12 steps. I don't know which ones you've tried. And there's a number of different ones. And there's resources listed on seekingintegrity.com. You know, there's S A S A A S P A A S L A A P A P A A. Like there's bunches. Um, so I'm kind of wondering 
how much you tried any of them, because if you go to one meeting, go, I don't like this and I don't fit in the common denominator is you. And with all due respect, and I'm so hear me clearly, I want to help you. Um, and so like, it's okay for us to be uncomfortable. Um, we often say in 12 step, take what you need and leave the rest. And, you know, talking about getting a sponsor, I mean, like they don't have to be perfect and it isn't like a lifelong relationship. It is like, can this person help me, you know, for the next, you know, month or two, at least to get through some of the steps. Can they, can they, are they further on the process than I am? Can they guide me? That's all, you know, it doesn't have to be the most perfect person in the, on the planet for you. Um, please, please, please don't do DIY disclosures. Like, like you, yes, your partner deserves to know certain things and, you know, and if there has been unprotected sex and they need an STD test, et cetera, yes. But otherwise you, I guarantee will overshare or minimize. It won't go well. The most talked about topic in Dr. Rob's peer case consultation group with professionals who have been trained in this is disclosure. That means it's complex. Getting it right really makes a difference. Otherwise your poor partner is just getting traumatized with you going, I want to be honest with you. And, um, but it's not with any kind of filter or support. So that's kind of my take on that. What are your thoughts? Oh, there's so much. Um, I'm going to start with the last sentence or the second last. Um, I seek reassurance for which side I should follow. These aren't sides. These are, these are, if they're sides, they're all sides of a different, uh, they're all different angles of the same thing, but why wouldn't you want more help? Like, especially 12 step, it's free. And one of the things that I really love about 12 step is you can go the rest of your life and no one's going to charge you a penny. And you can walk in that room 10 years from now and nobody knows you and you raise your hand and say, I'm really in trouble. And someone will ask you out for coffee. Therapy groups end, support groups end. We won't be doing this forever, but 12 step goes on forever and it's a free resource. So to me, it's a, and to me, when I was 26, it, and that's when I started to have me 12 step, I didn't want to go. I didn't like it. I was around all the, I wanted to go out and have fun. And you know what fun was for me, but I did hear something in those rooms that I thought, oh, this is different. And I feel like I belong here and, and I'm getting a lot of good direction. So I'm going to stay. By the way, I didn't see which 12-step program, Tammy, was that in there? Well, that's that's why I said there's so many different ones, and to right. check out different ones would so, be. But this is a porn addict, so right. A lot but there's PA, PAA, PAA, yeah, yeah. They do not feel comfortable in sex addiction meetings because sex addicts are out doing all this crazy sexual stuff, and if you're just a porn, just a porn addict, you're sitting at home and you never leave your chair. So if you go to sex addicts meetings, you may just think, oh, I want to do what some of those guys are doing. So actually porn addiction folks created their own meetings so they could be with other people who were isolated and ashamed and also losing, losing themselves in video games and all that kind of stuff. So the other thing, and Tammy kind of said this, is um, feelings are not facts. As addicts, we... We spend man, much too much time in our feelings. I feel like doing this. I feel like doing that. I'm feeling bad. So I'll do this. I'm feeling, um, I'm not sure it matters what you feel. Um, what do they say, Tammy? Um, act your way into wellness. Is that? Yeah. Act your way into good thinking, not think your way into good acting. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me if I have a problem and this is going to be helpful from what I hear. 
it doesn't matter what I think about it. As long as it isn't harmful, I don't think you're going to go in a 12-step program. You're going to say, this is how you need to lead your, lead your life, or let's go out with a chain gang. And you're going to hear things you like. You're going to hear things you don't like. You're going to support where you can. There's a lot of picking and choosing in those rooms about how you want to do this. But look, it's worked. It's been successful. I have been in 12-step programs for almost 30 years. Um, so I would see them as integrative and things you can add together, not that you're picking one or the other. The last thing is that we are non-intimate. That's our problem. We've been talking about that. One of the things you get to develop in 12-step program is healthy intimacy, hopefully with people you're not attracted to. And that is really the essence of how we build more more love into our lives in our in, in our romantic relationships. Because if I can learn all the skills needed and improve my skills to have friendships and sponsors and people in 12-step, then I'm going to have an even better skill set to be honest and work it out with my partner. So there's not much that I see problematic, and there's a whole lot of reasons to go. So I agree. And I just put, because um, we've got a porn addiction 101 uh, level one uh, work group starting again. So that would be live facilitated it is connection with other people in the group it i would be a good fit too okay my husband of, is six months into recovery and we're in a good place at this time i'm finding myself I'm sorry confused. tell me hold on one second are you still reading i'm stuff? on the open in the new like in that's yeah. what i thought oh okay yeah. fine yeah. thank you i thought okay. we'd moved so yeah we're in the open these are today got it Okay. My husband is six months into recovery and we're in a good place at this time. I'm finding myself confused about what a healthy sexual relationship looks like for a married couple. I understand not doing things I'm uncomfortable with. I'm also understanding emotional intimacy must be present before sexual intimacy takes place. However, I'm worried about causing my husband to stumble into in any way during his recovery. For example, I'd like to wear lingerie at times, but I'm not sure if this will trigger be a trigger for him. Can you offer any insight into this? Um, I'm writing notes, but I have to say, mm -hmm. I, I don't see this. I'm not sure where it is. I see it's not in the answer. Oh, here, let me put, no, it was in the open, but I'll put it in the answered. So now it's in the answered. So thank now you. do you see it? Uh, I do. So okay. thank you. So I just want to talk about one thing about maybe the last half. And you can, since you read the first half, um, there is nothing that you can do that will lead me to, to act out in my recovery. You know, if you go buy a lingerie, you know, that might turn me on, that make me, may make me think about, but what I do with that, you know, do I, do I slow it down with you and say, let's slow down a little bit. I find myself thinking about other things because sometimes we go there because we're scared. And even though we're not aware of it, we just need to slow down because we kind of leave the room when we're with you and we start thinking about other things just to feel safe. Um, but that, and that aside, there is, uh, oh, there's so many questions here, emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to stick with the last part. You cannot make somebody stumble. You cannot, they, uh, my decision to drink, my decision to use, my decision to go out of sex with other people, that's my decision. You can make me happy. You can make me miserable. You can be a great partner. You can have sex with me, not have sex with me. But the decision for me to go and act out, that is my decision. I could go for a walk. I could call a friend. I could divorce you. But the logical conclusion of our having uh, starting to have sex and my being excited about that is not, okay, that got me really turned on. So now I'm going to do it with 12 other people. Um, that might be a logical conclusion. Might, that might be talking about it in therapy or talking about your sponsor or 
you know, but I, I think this assumption that I really have to challenge that any spouse here feels responsible for someone else's acting out. I don't care what the addict says to you. Well, you've gained a little weight and it's not like it used to be and you're spending all your time doing this. Great, then we need a marriage counselor. We need to work on it or we need to have some hobbies together. Or, But if I hate you and I'm miserable with you and I hate our relationship, the logical conclusion is not having sex with other people. So I, I really want you guys to read Prodependence I only make 15 cents a book, but I wrote this book called Pro-Dependence because I, I truly believe that we stay out of love, that we stay to support them, that we would do anything to make them better. And when I hear spouses talking about taking responsibility for someone else's addiction, I know they're, they're not talking about, they're talking about codependency. And I would say in a different way that, um, that you, the reason, the part you play is the loving, the caring, the being present, the being willing to tolerate this because you want to hold on to the relationship and you want to make it better. There's nothing wrong with anybody trying to hold on to a relationship because they love that person. Do you know how people get, and I, I, I know this doesn't make any sense, but there are clients I've worked with who are experiencing physical abuse. And you would think, well, why in the world would they go back to the person who's hit them? Because they love them. And life isn't black and white. People can hurt you, let you down, and you still love them because that kind of connection doesn't just go away because someone did something. So um, you're not responsible and no one who's no one as a partner is ever responsible for our decision to act out. Okay, you get the first half. Oh, well, yeah. So talk to him. Talk to him and say, I would love to wear some sexy lingerie. How do you feel about that? You know, and you can even say, I'm concerned because I don't want you to be triggered. And, you know, but I 100% agree with Dr. Rob when you, because you said, I don't want to cause my husband to stumble. It's, you know, if he's stumbling, it's his, you know, his completely his actions that would cause that, not you. And so I would invite you to have the conversation because you said you're in a good place. So that must mean you're having good communication. You're, you're connecting emotionally. You know, I'm feeling closer to you. I would like to, you know, explore, you know, being more sexual with you. I would like to explore wearing lingerie. How do you feel about that? You know, would that be concerning to you? We've talked about this before, sensate focused touch where it's not about you just having sex. It's, having penetrative sex it is about touch and connection and can you wear your sexy lingerie and have no plans for you know having right. penetrative sex you can you know you can watch whatever you want to do i'm not going to do that on the webinar it's going to be on youtube well, so I did wanna, you can do whatever I, you want in your lingerie how's that so i i actually do and i look fabulous in lingerie but not when it has lace <laughs> lace is not my thing that's a joke sorry um the, I want to comment a part about, I understand emotional intimacy must be present before sexual intimacy takes place. Um, sometimes emotional intimacy is built through the sexual experience in part. Um, in other words, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I need to stop either one of you, or I left the room, or I'm not present, or, uh, or I started thinking about something else, or, you know, Emotional intimacy during sex is I, I want to stop. I need a moment, you know, or I'm feeling distracted or that doesn't feel quite like I wanted to. Being non-sexually emotional is just keeping your mouth shut and, you know, having uh, fantasies about someone else for the addict or pretending it's okay for the partner. Um, so there is an element of emotional intimacy in sexual intimacy. 
but um and yes you do need to be emotionally connected and present before there is sex but sex is also and what tammy said massages back rubs holding hands you know uh, there are many ways to connect physically and emotionally without necessarily having to have sex Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.